Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you I want to welcome everyone to church this morning. We thank God to come into his house and to worship him and to receive from him. Well, we are in Christmas week. The year is ending, and uh, for us who are Christians, we begin to prepare for the end of the year, side by side, the celebration of Christmas. And for us who are Christians, we know that Christmas is not just a celebration. There are other times in our lives when we celebrate but Christmas is both a celebration and it's also a very significant event in the life of the Christian and also the church. Christmas is the time when we celebrate the birth of our Savior. It is not about the date, but it is about the event. That one day in history, someone was born who was not just an ordinary person, but he was the savior of the world. And at Christmas, we remember the birth of the savior and the significance of his birth to the life of mankind. Today and next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about celebrating the birth of the savior. Celebrating the birth of the savior. In the book of Matthew chapter 1, if we read from verse 18... The Bible said that now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So a virgin who has been engaged to a man waiting for the wedding ceremony, because in those times in Jewish culture, the engagement ceremony is the, the families of the two persons who have consented for marriage, they meet and uh, discuss the marriage ceremony and agree on a date for the wedding ceremony. And that is what they call engagement. And from that time, this particular lady is considered to be a wife-to-be. And so Mary has been engaged to Joseph, but they were not yet married, so there was no sexual affair. And before Joseph would realize it, Mary was pregnant. But the Bible said she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't an accidental, inexplainable, mysterious pregnancy. There was an understanding to how the pregnancy came. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. The next verse says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly because in those days, if you engage a virgin and the virgin betrays the trust or violates the contract and goes to sleep with another person, if it's found out, the man is supposed to report the matter to the elders and the punishment is that the virgin will be stoned to death. Um, Sometimes if the man is very considerate and doesn't want the girl to be killed, they will have a secret meeting and break the marriage contract so that the man can be free to marry somebody else. 
And Joseph being a very good man, the Bible said, Joseph being a very just man, that means an upright man. He didn't want Mary to be killed. He just wanted the families to mix and break the contract secretly. Verse 20 said, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So while he thought about it, he was thinking what to do, never discuss it with anybody. The Bible said that God intervened because God wanted to save a situation. God, knowing that Mary was not at fault for the pregnancy, Mary did not sleep with any man to become pregnant, God appeared to Joseph in a dream, and God spoke to Joseph and said, don't break the marriage contract because Mary is innocent. She didn't have an affair. She didn't fornicate. She didn't betray the contract. He said, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 21. He said, and she will bring forth a son. The angel told Joseph, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. She will give birth. So the message of the angel communicates something very important I want you to pay attention to. The first thing the angel said to Joseph is, don't break the marriage contract. Number two, your wife is conceived by the Holy Spirit. In other words, your wife's conception is a work of the Spirit, not a work of sexual affair with a human being. The third thing the angel said to Joseph is that your wife is going to give birth to a son, and you, Joseph, name him Jesus. The reason is because he will save people from their sins. The word Jesus is a Greek word which means Savior. In the Hebrew, the word Savior means Yeshua. So the Hebrew word for Savior is Yeshua, which is now called Joshua in the Latin. But in Greek, it is Jesus. All right. And the reason why God sent his angel to tell Joseph, name the son that Mary will give birth to. Name him Jesus is because of the assignment that he has to perform, his assignment. And what was the assignment of Jesus? To save people from their sins. And so the whole work of uh, the birth of Jesus is pointing towards one thing, salvation to the world, salvation to the world. You can imagine when Mary was in labor, about to give birth, I think Joseph's very serious interest was, who is she going to give birth to? What would have happened if Mary had given birth to a girl? You know, Joseph would have said, oh, all this dream is just a fake. All this Holy Spirit conception is just lies. Maybe Mary manipulated my dreams. But can you imagine Joseph was standing right there, and Mary was pushing and pushing and pushing, and then Mary pushed out a baby. What is the gender? A boy. And Joseph realized, everything I saw in my dream is of God. Because how could the angel have told me that my wife is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and when she gives birth, it will be a boy? It means what I saw and what my wife told me is true. So everybody else could doubt the virgin birth. Joseph would never doubt it because Joseph knew he is not responsible for the pregnancy. And Joseph also knew 
Mary spoke to him and told him how she became pregnant. Because Mary herself had an experience with the same angel called Gabriel in the book of Luke chapter 1. Let's go to Luke chapter 1 from verse 26. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. He said, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. Angels can appear to people in visions, which was in the case of Joseph. Joseph did not see the angel physically. He saw the angel in his dreams. So angels can appear to people in the spirit, either in a dream or in a vision. That is not that much scary. The scary one is when angels appear to you physically, because they're not going to knock the door. And you say, come in. And then they walk in and said, My, I am an angel of the Lord and I'm sent to you. They appear. Before you turn and realize, they are there. And it's scary to see, to turn in your room and somebody is standing there looking at you. And then the first thing that happens, we just mention your name. Alex. So the angel said to Mary, fear not. Because naturally, the next reaction you experience is fear. The angel said to Mary, fear not, Mary. You have found favor with God. And Mary began to wonder. Who is this? Where did he come from? How did he get here? How did he come into my room? How did he know my name? You know, and all these questions going through your mind. And then the angel said, behold, you will conceive. Oh, something is happening today. Am I losing my mind? Am I losing my mind? Because I'm hearing weird things, wild things. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So the same thing the angel told Joseph in his dreams, he told Mary too. One of the things I realized that God doesn't speak in isolation. God wants to talk to you. He will talk to you in a way you won't have any doubt. That is why it's dangerous for you to live your life. Something that somebody claimed to have seen about you, that you are not sure yourself whether God said it or not. Because the angel said the same thing to Mary and said it to Joseph. You will conceive in your womb, give birth, and call his name Jesus. And if you are a virgin, you hear things like this. Naturally, you have a question. Verse 32 and he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? How can I be pregnant when I'm a virgin? Are you talking about after I, I get married to Joseph, when I become pregnant and I have a child? Or you are talking about now? Because I'm not married. Then the angel said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son. So the angel said to Mary, I'm not talking about after you are married to Joseph, and you people have sex and have children. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that before you get married to Joseph, you are going to have miraculously conceived, and the conception is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit was going to have sex with Mary. 
what the angel was trying to say, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of God will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is born of you will be called the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary and a miracle of conception is going to take place. A miracle of conception. I believe that every miracle pregnancy in the lives of women up to today is a testimony to the fact that Mary's pregnancy was divine. Because I've heard miracles of people whose wombs have been removed who conceived and gave birth miraculously, certified by doctors that their womb wasn't there. I've seen people who have been medically declared they cannot have a child, and they prayed to God and asked God for an intervention. And despite the fact that the medical report is still there, they have conceived and giving birth. Because God will always want to show the world that I can make a virgin conceive if I want to. I like verse um, 36. He said, now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. In her old age. That is what up to, up to today in our day and time. People in 60s and 70s are still getting pregnant. Miraculously. It doesn't happen all the time, but once in a while you hear it. You hear it. Elizabeth was older than the age of conception. And the angel was telling her, what I'm telling you is possible because look at Elizabeth. Look at Elizabeth, your cousin. She is also pregnant at her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her pregnancy. Who was called barren? This woman was called barren because she never had a child all her life. And she was an old woman. How old? I don't know. Maybe 70, which is still a miracle. 80, greater miracle. Maybe 90, like Sarah was 90. Look at verse 37. He said, for with God, nothing is impossible. If you're a Christian and you don't believe in the virgin birth, your whole Christian faith has a question mark. Jesus was born without an affair between Mary and Joseph. And the reason why God had to work that miracle is so that Jesus will be born innocent, without sin, so that he can save the world. But the more important truth about the virgin birth and the birth of Jesus that we need to learn is that Jesus was not just a miracle conceived. Jesus was God himself who decided to come to the world in the form of a human being in order to save us. Jesus was God himself. John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So what word are we talking about here? God's word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Because you and your words, you are inseparable. Where you are, that's where your words will be. Yeah. The only time your word gets separated from it when it's recorded. So you can take this, my preaching. You know, every now and then I have calls. When we do our radio broadcast, I get calls, and especially outside Accra. And they said, I want to see you. Can I come to the station and meet you? I said, I'm not there. It was my words, but it was recorded. But if you want to hear me live, you can only hear me where I am. So the word was with God, and the word was God. Any problem about that? You cannot separate me from my words. I am my words. If I tell you tomorrow, meet me here at 6 a.m., you can't call me tomorrow and say, oh, it's not me who said it, it's my words that said it. No, can you say that? Can you say no? You tell somebody something, especially if it's a lie, and then you are caught. No, it was not me. It was my words that told a lie. No. Your words is you, and you are your words. In the same way, God is his word, 
and his word is God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 2 says, all he was in the beginning with God. The word was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. All things were made through the word because God never created anything without speaking it. God never created anything without speaking it. So the word was the means by which God created all things. Because he and his word, they are the same. Verse 4 says, in him was life. In the word was life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. The Bible said one day, God looked at the earth and the whole earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the earth. And God said, let there be light. And the Bible said, the light shined in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now when God said, let there be light, the Bible said there was what? Light. Where did that light come from? The word spoke it and it came into existence. And I want you to know, when God said, let there be light, and there was light, it was not sunshine. Because the sun was created later. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 14, I think on the fifth day of creation, the sun was created. So, before the sun was created, the whole earth was brightened by the spoken word of God. Let there be light. And the Bible said, and the light shined in darkness. What was that light? That light was the word of God. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shined in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. In the next verse, verse 6, John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I like verse 14. He said, and the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. Which word? The word that was in the beginning with God, which is God, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld, or we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me stop here and, and talk a little bit. Look at the scripture very carefully. The word became what? Flesh. Why did the word become flesh? Because God wanted to become human. The word God decided to be born as a human being into the world to save mankind. Because right from the book of Genesis when mankind fell into sin, God had a plan to bring salvation to mankind. God never gave up on mankind. 
the day they sinned. God could not give up on mankind. You know why? Because human beings are created in his image. And so God was angry at the fall of man, the disobedience, and the sin, but God could not give up on man. He decided to put him in motion a divine agenda through which he will save all mankind back into relationship with him. And for him to do that, he has to come himself. So Jesus is the word of God that became flesh. So when we celebrate Christmas, we are not just celebrating the life of a man who was born, who had special powers and became a savior. We are celebrating the birth of a man who was God and decided to come in the form of a human being into the world to save us. Because God couldn't save us as God. God couldn't save us by remaining God. If he wanted to save us, he has to come in the form of a human being. The Bible said in the book of Romans 5, verse 12, it said, through one man, sin entered the world. Through one man, sin entered the world. Now, just as through one human being, sin entered the world, it was also implied that sin must leave mankind through one person. So sin entered the world through one person, and God decided that in the same manner, sin must leave the world through one person. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, from verse 45, it said, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became what? A living spirit. Now, when the Bible talks about the last Adam, it was referring to Jesus Christ. Jesus came just like Adam. The similarity between Adam and Jesus is that they were both miraculously created. Adam is the first person that was created. He didn't come into existence by a sexual affair between a man and a woman because he was the first. God had to create him in a miraculous way. Same with Jesus. And through Adam, sin came into the world. Because he sinned, then he gave birth to people. And as he gave birth, all became sinners. So nobody among humanity could stand out and become the savior. And so God had to bring another Adam who doesn't know any sin. And the Bible calls him the last Adam. That means there wouldn't be any after Christ. There wouldn't be any other savior again after Christ. The last Adam. He wasn't the second Adam. He was the last Adam. Verse 46 says that, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The first Adam was made of what? Dust, clay. And God breathed into him the breath of life. The Bible said the second man, who is the last Adam, he was not made of dust. He was the Lord from heaven. God himself deciding to come in the form of a human being. Because for God to save the world, he has to enter our world and be a human being and pay the price for sin. And so he couldn't be God and save the world. He had to be human in order to save human beings. God had to become a human being in order to save human beings. And so for salvation to happen, God must miraculously become human. But for God to become human, he had to be born. 
He had to be born because it is not permitted for any human being to come into existence without being born. The only person who wasn't born was Adam. So when we talk about Jesus, we are talking about a virgin who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now, to be conceived of the Holy Spirit means that person's life issued from the Holy Spirit and the, uh, issued from God himself. His life issued from God. 1 Timothy 3.16 says something to that effect. He said, and without controversy. Because there's a lot of controversy about what I'm saying. Recently at membership classes, somebody asked me a very intelligent question. And most of the times, it's easy to just say anything to people who are not great thinkers. But when you meet great thinkers and you want to start preaching, they ask you intelligent questions. That is why if you are a preacher, you must be knowledgeable. Otherwise, you cannot convince learned people to follow the Lord. Can I tell the question that was asked? I was so happy to hear that question that day. But thankful to God that I know the Bible. God asked question, it's tough. Do you want to hear the question? The question is, the member asked me, is Jesus God? I said, yes, he is God, 100% God. And that's what I'm preaching this morning. Don't clap. Listen to the question. Because that is what we charismatics do. We clap about everything. <laughs> clapping is good, but you need to think twice you are doing the clapping. Is Jesus God? I said, yes. Second question, can God die? I said, no, God can never die. Pastor, did Jesus die on the cross? I said, yes, he died. Do you see how intelligent the question is? If Jesus is God and God cannot die, but Jesus died on the cross, how do you explain? That's why you prove whether you know Bible or not. Knowledge of Bible is not noise and shouting and sweating. It's studying the Bible with intelligence and thinking through the things you study. Brilliant question from a church member. I really loved it. Look at this. He said, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The subject of God is mystery. And many people don't want to study it. Why we talk about God? What are we talking about? Because many of you, I mean, you can't preach to certain people because the first question they ask you is, who is God? Where does he come from? Have you ever thought of that? Has anybody ever asked you, who gave birth to God? Okay, forget about giving birth. Who created him? And many of you, people can argue you out on these questions and let you know everything you claim to believe is all foolish. So Apostle Paul was well aware that there's a, a lot of controversy surrounding the subject of who God is and who Jesus is. He said, great is the mystery of godliness. Then he went on to say, what? God was what? Manifest in the flesh. God became manifested in the flesh. God, who is a spirit, decided to manifest as a flesh because he had to become a human being in order to save mankind. When you read the book of Colossians chapter 1, I hope I haven't lost you. Colossians 1 from verse 15, he said, he is the image of the invisible God. Who is he talking about? Jesus. How many have seen God before? Nobody. But when Jesus came, he became the physical appearance, the physical manifestation of whom the invisible God is. So Jesus did not come to talk about God. He came to show people God because he himself 
is God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Do you understand this? It means Jesus existed before Adam came to exist. The firstborn of all, over all creation. That means he was there before everything was created. In the beginning was God. The word was with God. The word was God. All things were created by him. It's the same person we are talking about here. The firstborn over all creation. Verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. If Jesus was not God, how could you say all things were created through him and he existed before all creation? Only God existed before creation. Only God is the one who created all things, visible and invisible, in heaven and on earth. The Bible said, through Jesus, by him and through him, all things were created. Verse 17. And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. It pleased who? It pleased the Father that in who? Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. This verse raises a very important question. What is the Bible talking about when they talk about the Father and Jesus, the Father? Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it talks about the Godhead. It says, for in him dwells, what? All the fullness. In Christ Jesus dwells, what? All the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, bodily. Jesus was a human being, but he carried the fullness of the God. That means all that God is was represented in him wherever he showed up. But this statement suggests that God is not one person. Don't worry, you understand it and you will be very happy. God is not one person. Many people have argued about this, when they read scriptures like Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Bible is not contradictory. When you don't understand it, you confuse yourself. Can I teach you something? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. Now, anytime you hear statements like this and you see scriptures like this, you need to take your time to understand what are they talking about. Now, anytime the Bible talks about somebody or people or something is one, it could mean two things. Sometimes it could mean the number one. So when this Bible said God is one, it's either it means God is what? One in number. Singular, thank you. The English scholars are here. Singular. Sometimes also it means unity. It means what? Let me give you an example. Genesis chapter 11, Genesis 11 verse 6, we read from... The old King James, the new King James, and then we'll read from the Amplified. Genesis chapter 11. Everybody look at this. You remember the Tower of Babel? They were building, and the building was going up. And the Bible said, 
And the Lord came to look at what they were doing. And this is what he said. What did he say? And the Lord said, behold, the people is what? One. Now, does it mean it's only one person who was building? No. There were many people, but they were working as one person. I've heard one politician in Ghana say before, one people, one nation, one destiny. Was it a champion who said that? General champion. Now, the people is one. Now, the Bible was written in Hebrew, translated into English. And that is why we have a lot of problems. Because English language is very simple. English language is very simple. But when you study languages like French, Latin, Greek, Hebrew, there is why many of us didn't like French in secondary school is because one word in French, let's say go. Word you use for I go. In English, I go. He goes, you go, we go, they go, everybody goes. <laughs> when you go to French, the word go, you cannot use the same word for I and you. We call it inflections. The Hebrew language is an inflectional language. So sometimes the translation process, for instance, the word for unity is one, as we see it here. Same word for the number is one. In Hebrew, it's not like that. In Hebrew, the word that was translated one here is not the same word as the numeral one. When you go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the statement, the Lord your God is one. The Hebrew word that was translated one is the same Hebrew word that was translated in Genesis 11, verse 6. Obviously, he was not talking about the number one. He was trying to say, the Lord your God is one person working in unity. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 1, because that is where we got introduced to who God is. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible said what? In the beginning, what happened? God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word that was translated God here is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is the plural for the word El. The word El in Hebrew means God. The word Elohim in Hebrew is the plural of El. The first time God was introduced in scripture, he was introduced as someone that was many persons in one. Genesis 1.26, when God wanted to create human beings, God spoke. Now understand the process of creation. If you study the process of creation from Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, God created everything by speaking. All right. Number two, God created everything by speaking to his source. Walk with me from verse 4. When God wanted to create animals, he spoke to the ground. Let the earth bring forth animals. That is why animals, when they die and they rot, they become sand. Because that is where they came from. Then God spoke to the ground and said, let the ground bring forth trees and grasses and herbs and bushes. And, and then what happened? The earth brought forth grasses and trees and herbs and shrubs and everything. Every tree that dies, they go back, they become sand and they go back to the soil. Another important principle that of creation that we learn from here is that when God spoke to every source, he created things. But everything created must remain attached to its source in order to survive. Trees have to remain on the ground. If you take a nice tree, you hang it in the air, it's going to die because it's not attached to its source. Animals survive in the ground. If you carry animals and you put them in, in the river, they are going to die 
Now, when God wanted to create fishes, do you know what God did? He went to the sea, and he spoke to the sea, and he said, let the sea produce fishes. Fishes came into existence through his word, working at a source. That is why all fishes can only survive in water, because they must remain attached to their source in order to survive. But at every point, each one was created by what? Speaking. Go read this very well in Genesis chapter 1. You see everything I'm saying, exactly the way I'm saying it. When God wanted to create mankind, Genesis 1.26, Bible said, and God said. So human being was created by God speaking. But who did he speak to? What did he speak to? That is an important question. And God said what? Let us now, so who was God? Who did God talk to before when he was creating mankind? He spoke to himself. He spoke to himself. So, where is the source of human being? God. Now, how can human beings survive remaining attached with God? That is why when Adam sinned, God said, When you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are going to die. The word die means separation, separation from God. So, all have sinned. Falling short of the glory of God. The Bible says Adam and Eve, they rather they were naked because the glory of God departed from them. Because sin brought that separation. But the important thing I want to say here is that when God wanted to create mankind, he spoke to himself. But let's look at what he said. What did he say? Let us. Now, one person cannot talk like that. Now you can clap. Now, yeah. One person cannot talk like that. Can you talk like that when you are alone in your room? How many of you know people will start wondering... If everything is fine. When it, every time they, take, they keep hearing, every time you are going, you tell your wife, we are going out and come. <laughs> People start wondering, okay, we are fine. Now, let us make a man. Let us make a man. And so the issue about the fact that God is three persons in one is very important for all Christians to know. First John chapter 5, I'm getting ready to end my message somewhere. We'll continue next Sunday. First John chapter 5, verse 7. For there are three. Hello? Everybody look at this. These are very important scriptures. And you write them down. You can't listen to teachings like this with your head. For there are three that do what? Bear witness where? In heaven. That means in God's presence. These three are what? The Father, the Word, and these three are? All right. When Deuteronomy 6, 4 said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Bible said there are three people who is what? One. And these three are what? The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. So until the angel appeared to Mary and said, you are going to conceive and give birth to a son, there was three persons, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. Did you see that in creation? Yes. The Bible said the spirit was moving over the face of the deep. And God spoke his word. And everything came into creation. Three persons in one. So there was a time that Jesus did not exist in physical human form. Now, the father, the word, and the spirit existed in heaven. Hello? Then one day, the word became flesh. The word, out of these three persons, the word became what? Flesh. Became human. Miraculously conceived by a virgin and gave birth. That is why the Bible said he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. 
So we hear these three persons all the time, don't we? Let me give you two scriptures. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14. This is one of our favorite quotations. Everybody knows it from Sunday school. It says what? The grace of our Lord Jesus, love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen? The Lord Jesus is mentioned there. The Holy Spirit is mentioned there. God is mentioned there. Matthew 28 verse 19, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father and the the Holy. This is Jesus himself talking to his disciples and he's mentioning God in three persons. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 verse 16, we see the same thing happening. Jesus was talking to the disciples and this is what he said. And I will pray to who? The Father. Who was talking? Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll pray to the Father and he will give you another helper. Who is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. So Jesus, in his teachings with the disciples, he tried to make them know. He tried to always make them know. So when Colossians 2 verse 9 says, Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, he was trying to say, Jesus is God. Until he was born, he was the Word. When he became born, he, he became Jesus. That is why Jesus himself, in his day and time, many times he tried to let the people know that he is God. In the book of John, chapter 10, from verse 30, Jesus said something very interesting. All right. What did he say? I and my father are one. That word one there means a lot. It means we are equal. It means we agree. It means we are always together. We are equal. We agree. And we are together. You cannot separate God from his word. God and his word, they are always together and they are the same. I and my father are one. Look at verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Because in Jewish tradition, it's a taboo for you to say such a thing. The Jews considered God too holy, too great for anybody to even call him his father. Jesus was the first person to ever call God father. And after he died on the cross, he now introduced all people to a new relationship with God. That we can stand here and call God our father. Before Jesus died, it was not possible. They took stones to stone him. Verse 32. Verse 32. Jesus answered them, many good works have I shown you from my father. (laughs) For which of these do you stone me? Then the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you be a man, you make yourself God. So the people understood. When Jesus said, I am a father one, it's only we who don't understand it. But the Jews, they understood that he was trying to say, I am God. And they said, this guy must die. He has spoken a haram. He has spoken blasphemy. He must die. In John chapter 14, 
John chapter 14 from verse 6. Let's see an interesting narrative. Jesus said to him, I am the way. Let's read from verse 5. Thomas said to him, you know Thomas, always very skeptical. Doesn't believe things too quick. I love people like that. Sometimes you need to prove things a little. Religious people believe everything too fast. That's why the best place to, to mislead people and deceive people is the charismatic church. Oh, we believe things too fast. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Even the destination we don't know. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am. I am. Jesus said, I am. The word I am was a word that God used as his name to Moses in Exodus 3, 14, when Moses said, if I go to the Israelites in Egypt and I tell them God has sent me and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God said to Moses, when you go tell them, I am that I am. That is my name. I am who I am. Tell the Israelites, I am has sent me. And the word I am is a Hebrew word, Yahweh, Yahweh, which the Greek calls Jehovah. The word Yahweh means the self-existing God. I don't need anybody to be God. I am God by myself. I can be anything I want to be. I can be life to you. I can be healing to you. I can be everything you want, everything you think about. I am. And that, that name is so holy that the Jews never use it. So a typical Hebrew Bible, anywhere you see that word, I am, they replace it with the word Adonai, which means master. Because according to the Ten Commandments, they say you shall not use the name of your God anyhow. So they felt that word was too holy. So holy that when the scribes were rewriting the scriptures, they took out the vowels from the word Yahweh. So the actual vowels are not known now. They just put, on the, put the consonants. Only Jesus showed up once upon a time and look at people and tell them, I am. That statement alone should tell you the man was not human. He was God in human form. How many are here as I close? Let's finish up with this. I am the way, John 14 verse 6, and the truth and what? The life. He didn't say, I am one of the ways. Talk to me. I am the way. That means there's no other. That's English language. The way. I am the truth. That means when you bypass Jesus, you can never find any other truth. Jesus was Jesus not one of the prophets who came, and after him, other ones came. All those religious stuff is complete nonsense. It's falsehood and lies. Jesus is not one of the prophets. Jesus is not like Moses. The Bible called Moses a servant and called Jesus the son. That's why all religions would refuse that Jesus is not the son of God. That's, that is one of the things every religion will fight. And they try to confuse us. If Jesus was the son of God, it means God committed adultery by sleeping with somebody's wife. Because Mary was somebody's wife. That's why Christianity is an intelligent thinking relationship with God. You can't just believe everything. You must understand what you believe. You must understand what you believe. If you believe things without understanding, you are just superstitious. You know, in the days of our ancestors, superstition is something you don't question. Do you, do you, do you remember? Yeah. The young ones who understand what I'm saying. Superstition. You don't question it, though. You just obey. Christianity is not superstition. It is truth. I am the truth, and I am the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Isn't that a powerful statement? Thomas was not satisfied at all. Look at the next verse. If you had known me, you have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Why did Jesus say that? Did they see God physically? You can't even see God physically. I think I'll be talking about that next Sunday. And, and answer all your questions. Where did God come from? Who created him? Answer all. But God is a spirit. You can't see him. Jesus is saying, from now onwards, you know God because you have seen him. That's not uh, something that can easily be acceptable, isn't it? So verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And we won't ask any question again. Show us the Father. We want to see the Father. Because Jesus keeps talking about the Father, the Father, the Father. Show us. Now you are even telling us we know him. We don't know him. We don't know what you are talking about. You are telling us we know the Father because we have seen him. We, we haven't seen him. Show him to us. And verse 9, this Jesus said, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? And yet, you haven't known me, Philip? Did Philip ask, Lord, show us Jesus? He said, show us the Father. And Jesus responded and said, I've been with you so long. What was Jesus implying? Is there. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So Jesus was saying, I am a distinct person. The Father is a distinct person, but I am always in him and he in me. And so anywhere the Father is, I'm there. Anywhere I am, the Father is there. When you see me, you have seen the Father. When you see the Father, you have seen me. When you see the Father working, I am working. When you see me working, it is the Father that is working. Jesus trying to say, when we talk about God, we are talking about these three persons in one. So when Colossians 2 verse 9 says, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, this is the meaning. I in the Father, the Father in me, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. I in the Father, the Father in me, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You can't separate us. That's what Jesus is saying. You want to see the Father, just look at me. You see the Father. Because he's in me and I'm in him. And we are one. And we work together. And we are everywhere. That is what it means that Jesus is God that came in human form. And the reason why he came is because God wanted to bring salvation to the world. And God couldn't save us unless he becomes a human being to bring salvation to us. That is why every one of you here under the sound of my voice, if you want to know God, Jesus said, it is only through me. He is the only savior of the world. He was conceived and the angel said to the parents, Mary and Joseph, call his name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. That's all he came to do, to save, to save, to save. And that word to save is a Greek word soteria. It means to be rescued from danger, to be rescued from danger. So salvation is not even, you know, a one-time experience that you become born again. That's the end. All the remaining days of your life that Christ is in you, he continues to make sure 
you are safe all the time. Safe from sickness and disease. Safe from poverty. Safe from all problems. Safe from all troubles. Safe from every evil. Safe from all the works of the enemy. That is why if Christ is in you, the devil can touch you. The devil can harm you. The devil can destroy you. No work of the enemy can prevail against your life because when Christ comes into your life, your life becomes changed and you become a child of God. Can we all rise? I want to pray for anybody. Jesus must come into your life today. And when he comes into your life, the story of your life will change. He is God that comes to live in human beings. He will change your life. He will transform your life. He will make your life a testimony. He will make your life a totally transformed person. If you are here, you want, you want me to pray for you to give your life to Jesus. Can you raise your hand and wave your hand? Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Don't feel shy. Don't feel shy. This is the day of salvation. I want to pray with you right now. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to become born again. Can you raise your hand? I want to see your hand up wherever you are. I want to pray with you. Simple prayer and you give your life to Jesus. You have not given your life to Jesus. Clap for them as they come. Come to me. I want to pray for you to give your life to Jesus. If you are there, join these people. Join them. I want to pray with you. Come to the front. Come to the front. Don't feel shy. Don't remain there. Don't stay there and say, I'll do it another day. Don't say, I'll do it another day. Today is your day of salvation. Don't postpone it. Just be bold and come. Don't let the devil tell you, don't go forward. Can you lift up your two hands with me? And I want to say this prayer after me. I want you to mean it from your heart as I lead you to pray. And as they pray at the front, we're all going to join them and everybody in under the sound of my voice in the auditorium, including those of you watching online, you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer. Everybody, let's say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross to save me. I believe with all my heart that you are the savior of the world. Today, I give you my whole life. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Save me from all my sins and make my life a new person. I believe from today I'm saved. From all sins, I'm now a child of God. Jesus lives in me and my life is not the same again. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, let's can we clap for Jesus.
hope you've been blessed by today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.